Oh my God. I'm still hung over from the amazingness that was UFC 269. That was absolutely incredible. We are going to talk all about it. We'll talk about what's next for some of the winners and losers from UFC 269. And we're going to talk to a couple of great guests today. I want to remind you guys that five rounds on the Five Reasons Sports Network is served by the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. We love the Quarter Deck. In fact, Five Reasons Sports, we had a little watch party out at the Quarter Deck last night. It was awesome. The Heat actually beat the 76ers with 80% of their roster out with injuries or COVID. It was a really incredible performance by the Miami Heat last night and an incredible time at the Quarter Deck. I had awesome food, two-for-one drinks. I was sipping those two-for-one margaritas at the Quarter Deck. Guys, they have two-for-one happy hour all day, every day. The seafood is always fresh at the quarter deck. Make sure you watch every big game and hot tip, every big fight. Watch it at the quarter deck. They have every UFC pay-per-view for zero cover charge. I hope some of you went out to the quarter deck for UFC 269 this past weekend. They're going to have 270, 271, 272. On for eternity, they will have all the pay-per-views at the quarter deck for zero cover charge. If you want to find the location nearest to you and check out their awesome menu before you go, make sure you visit them online at Quarter Deck Restaurants. The Quarter Deck, come for the food, stay for the fun. Let's go indeed. Hello, Michael Satefano, and hello, Frank Zaffrey. I think James Walker is going to be connecting with us shortly. We'll give the spotlight to Frank in the meantime. Frank, how are you? I wish I could have watched UFC 269 with you because that was amazing. It was amazing. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show, man, like we talked about it last week. These odds makers don't understand the sport yet. And when they put out lines like they did on Pena and Nunez, I mean, there's an opportunity. I mean, you talked about not wanting to waste money, but I mean, heck, $20, $30. I mean, what the hell? I mean, you've wasted that kind of money all the time. I mean, (laughs) that's a daily occurrence for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and then, you know, uh, really, really happy for Charles Oliveira, honestly. Some validation for what I think a lot of people consider just a placekeeping position. Uh, as the current lightweight champion. Now it's legit. And we found James, and James, perfect timing for the introduction. How are you, and how much did you enjoy UFC 269? Uh, it was great. I almost didn't show up here like Amanda Nunez uh, on, <laughs> on Saturday, but I, I got through. Um, great pay-per-view. Always good with surprises, you know, um, and that's that's always what's interesting. This, this pay-per-view, uh, especially with the Nunez upset, kind of reminded me a little bit of, uh, I forget, the Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz one pay-per-view yeah. where no one expected Holly Holm to get choked out by Misha Tate and, and no one expected Conor McGregor to, to lose to, to well, Nate Diaz as maybe, a late replacement. Maybe one oh, oh, except, except Alex, that's right. You probably called both of those correct, I'm sure. But, <laughs> no, but, no, uh, I, I only called the Nate Diaz. <laughs> but yeah, they'll, they'll, it was it was a great, uh, great pay-per-view overall with surprises and it just shows that, you know, you can never really predict the landscape, but I know we're going to get a lot into it. So a lot to delve into. Yeah, I want to start with the main event before we get into the co-main event. Uh, I admit, and I think I'm the only one out of the three of us who underestimated Charles Oliveira at least a little bit, if not a lot. Uh, I thought Dustin Poirier would win the fight for the reasons we saw playing out in the first round. I thought Poirier had a very good first round with the big differences being his strength and his power. He landed some heavy shots. He knocked Oliveira down with a right hand in that first round, was landing successful lefts as well. I thought Poirier looked really good, but both guys looked good in the first round. It wasn't as if the first round was complete domination for Poirier. I thought he was winning the fight, but the the difference ended up being in this one, guys. 
Charles Oliveira, we know how dangerous of a grappler and submission artist he is. That's what ended this fight. But um, as a striker, he just has so many more options to go to than Poirier. I mean, Poirier is more of the meat and potatoes type of, uh, you know, he does have a, a great weapon in his leg kicks. Yeah, he hit, in fact, a, a leg kick in the opening seconds that that had uh, that had Oliveira tumbling a little bit. But, you know, when it comes to really varying the attack, Oliveira just does such a great job mixing it up, guys. He lands those really dangerous knees to the body, and he was throwing this front kick to the liver. I can only imagine how painful that is, right? I mean, we've seen guys going back to, you know, Lyoto Machida who will throw the dangerous front kicks to the face. Anderson Silva made that really popular. Uh, but when you see a guy land multiple times flush a front kick to the liver, that just looks incredibly painful, right? I mean, Boz Rutten used to do the roundhouse kicks to the liver. The front kick to the liver looks even more painful. And then we saw, guys, one thing that was amazing on this, and, and Frank, I want to go to you, uh, go to you on this first, even though I think both Frank and James both picked Oliveira. I picked Poirier in this fight. You know, I knew I knew how dangerous Oliveira's submission game is. And I think Dustin Poirier knew that as well, because he was very respectful of it, right? The way that he was a you know, at one point, um, you know. Oliveira was on his back, and then Poirier, instead of engaging on the ground and trying to ground and pound him, just took a step back and said, get up. Like, he didn't want any part of that, knowing how dangerous Oliveira is off his back. So I was wondering if Charles Oliveira was going to try and finish this fight by submission, was he going to be able to take Poirier to the ground? He didn't have to. I mean, this guy is so dangerous with the standing rear naked chokes, which is ultimately what finished this fight. You don't even have to give this guy position on the ground for him to choke you out. All you have to do is give him a split second where he can take your back, climb your back. And even if you're standing up against the cage, he's going to end up getting that arm under the chin and choking you out. So, Frank, I'd love your take not only on Oliveira's performance, but from a Dustin Poirier side of things, is there anything you thought he did wrong in this fight, like especially wrong? Did he make any tactical mistakes here? Yeah, well, he he made a mistake, but it, I I don't blame him for it. And you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I think my predictions for how this would go unfolded generally the way I described. I thought Oliveira looked loose. I thought he looked comfortable, and I thought because of the comfort level that he was in, knowing he was expected to lose, that he you know that he was able to execute his game plan brilliantly and not panic. You know, when the pressure was on in the first round and, you know, stay on point and get the job done the way he knows how to get it done. And I thought Poirier looked tight. I thought he looked tight before the fight. Look, I thought he looked tight in the fight. I thought he just wasn't himself. And he said post-fight, like, it's just not me. And he's right. That's not him. He's a way better fighter than that. It was a huge, huge moment complicated by the fact that everyone expected him to win and that people don't understand how much additional pressure that puts on an athlete you know i mean the, the, the charles Oliveira is no bum he's the champ so the the notion that poirier was going to go in there and anything less than you know beating the shit out of Oliveira was going to be you know <laughs> a, a disappointment is unfortunate i think he fought tight and i think he's been talking about it since it's just it wasn't a reflection of who he is as a fighter so that's really the mistake yeah, and if I recall what I said last week, I said this was a 50-50 fight, and there's so many matchups there in the top five in that division where it's, it's just going to be so razor thin, and it depends on who shows up that night, 
who follows their strategy, who doesn't make the mistakes. And, and Oliveira is the type of fighter that he just, at this point in his career, he does not make a lot of mistakes. Very technical on, on standing up, awesome on the ground, arguably the best, you know, one of the best in the entire UFC or on the ground. And I think the tactical mistake that Dustin made, and I think he's, this is what he's really going to regret down the road, is when, when there was a takedown in round two, he just laid there. He just yeah. kept a defensive posture, held, hugged Oliveira as tight as he could, didn't try to get out, didn't try to attack from the bottom or attack from the ground. He just said, you know what? I'm going to give him this round. I'm not going to get submitted, so I'm going to live to fight another round, but I'm just going to hold as tight as I can. He took some elbows. He took some damage there. Nothing too big damage-wise, but I think that strategy alone was was something that kind of drained. I, I think drained Dustin emotionally and physically. I mean, it's, it's tough to really – hold a guy that much. I mean, he held him for about two and a half minutes and took and took some damage along the way when he finally, um, you know, couldn't hold him any longer. And early in the third round, the fight was over. So I think that was kind of a big momentum swing where it was a 50-50 fight. I, I would say Dustin probably won the first round. Um, and then when it went to the ground and, and he just he just hugged there and stood there. If you if you remember when the fight went to the ground, the Michael, Michael Chandler fight, Chandler was very offensive. Chandler was was hitting from, you know, hitting uh, Oliveira on the ground. Oliveira couldn't really do his techniques or, or get, you know, any submissions or anything. And, and Oliveira took some damage. You have to attack Oliveira, even if there's the threat of getting submitted uh, when the fight goes to the ground. You have to attack him on the ground. You can't just lay there, um, you know, in, in that, you know, defensive posture. So I think that was a big mistake by Dustin. I think that kind of wore him out a little bit physically and mentally to where when, when they finally stood up at the end of the second round and then started third round, I, you know, he never really got back into the fight before, you know, it, Oliveira was on his back to submit him. And, you know, James, to your point, too, you know, like that's a great point about what he was doing. He was trying to get to the later rounds. And I got to believe psychologically he's thinking, oh, my God, I'm losing a round to this guy. Mm -hmm. There's only five of them. And this is a pretty yeah. dominant loss for that round. And, you know, as you say, probably wearing on him psychologically. I like that point. You know, Charles Oliveira is a bad motherfucker, and I don't want to take anything away from him. In fact, I am, as I'm sure a lot of people are, much more of a Charles Oliveira believer now than I was four or five days ago, right? Because I, I, I made the mistake of kind of looking at him as a placeholder for that belt, that that was, you know, he was kind of just holding it until either Poirier took it from him or eventually Islam Mahachev is going to take it from him. I... I don't think Justin Gaethje is going to take it from him. That That's probably what's next for him. I think Oliver is going to win that fight. I know, obviously, Gaethje. I don't know. Has, I don't uh, know. Well, we, we can get to that in a minute. But before, before we get to what's next for these guys, for both of them, because I think they both have pretty clear paths coming up, at least it appears that way, uh, I do want to, to say something here about Dustin Poirier. I had an epiphany this morning when I was thinking about a comp for Dustin Poirier's career to this point. He is this generation's Kenny Florian. It's the bridesmaid, right? I mean, unfortunately, Dustin Poirier, unfortunately, and I even said this, I even said this before the fight on Saturday. And, and for those who maybe are, are newer fans, that's excellent. Sport, that's isn't excellent. It? Yeah. I had that epiphany today. And for those who are newer fans of the sport, you probably know who Kenny Florian is as a commentator. Maybe you didn't watch his, he had an excellent UFC career, but the knock on Kenny Florian was he always got real close and then would lose the big fight. And part of it, to be fair, was, you know, dominant champions, and he tried multiple different weight classes, right? But dominant champions during his era, 
You know, he gets a crack against BJ Penn, who was a very dominant lightweight champion at that point, lost. Eventually got a crack at Jose Aldo at featherweight, very dominant champion. He lost. But it's like every time Kenny Florian had a really big fight, you're like, this is the moment. This is Kenny's going to get it. Kenny's going to get it. He would fail in the biggest possible spots. And, you know, I would have said the same thing about Michael Bisping until the very end of his career when he did win uh, the middleweight title. Uh, but otherwise, I would have said the same thing about Bisping. But unfortunately, Dustin Poirier, Frank, he's he's Kenny Florian because, you know, every time he's gotten a shot at an actual belt, he's held an interim belt before, but who cares? He gets a shot at the real belt. You know, he goes up against a buzzsaw and Khabib, loses. Khabib beat everybody I know. Then he gets a shot against Charles Oliveira for a real title, loses. Earlier in his career, every time Dustin Poirier would have title elimination type of fights, he would lose to people like Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, and Cub Swanson. Like, that's been the story of his career. He gets close, but he can't get over the hump. I hope there's a spot for him on Robot Wars. Listen, guys, <laughs> I got to step out for a second Sure, pick up the big rig, so I'll be back momentarily. Okay, yeah, Frank, right. I, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, uh, Frank is uh, he's getting some car repairs uh, done. Yeah. He's he's got to go. Nice. He's got to go pick up that. I'll be uh, right back, guys. Yeah, no, right. no worries, no worries. So so Frank is going to be back. Yeah, that's it. I'll, I'll take I'll take over that point. Uh, that's yeah. that's interesting that you know Dustin just just can't seem to win. You know those those big fights that either are championship opportunities or or lead to championship opportunities. And, and just looking ahead to him, I mean, just based off his post fight comments. It doesn't look like he's that interested in staying at 155 anymore, even though he's right at the top to where he's probably one fight away. You know, if he beats a Connor or beats, you know, a, another top five guy, you know, he's probably one fight away from getting another uh, shot. I don't know if he would get it against Oliveira if he's still a champ, but maybe if someone else had the belt at that time, which which someone else could have the belt a year from now. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Could be Islam, could be Gaethje, you know, it could yeah. be anybody. Could be Con well, I don't want to say Connor just yet. I, I don't know. I got to see Connor how he looks, but um, but but yeah, I mean, he's he's been so close. But moving up to 170, there's some interesting matchups up there for him. You know, there's your guy. They've been talking a lot. Nate Diaz and, and Dustin seem to be talking a lot. They seem like they want to fight to where uh, Dustin actually said he's the only person um, that 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 really motivates him to get back in the cage immediately. You know, he's kind of sulking right now after his championship loss. Um, but you know, if he gets Nate Diaz, I mean, he said he'll be back in the cage as early as January. I don't know if that's possible, but you know, it seems like first quarter, first quarter 22. Why not? Dustin, Nate, I mean, makes perfect sense at both of their points in this, their career right now. And they can do it at 170, so they don't have a tough weight yeah. cut. Um, and they've been trying to fight for what three years now. They were supposed to fight back yep. in uh 19, I think, something like that. So, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Yeah, they, they had a fight scheduled, and I will remind people that the reason why that fight didn't happen was because. Poirier pulled out injured. Yep. Nate was ready to go. Nate was ready to fight him. Dustin pulled out injured That's for that one. D does it annoy you at all, by the way? Because it, it kind of annoys me. Uh, maybe it shouldn't, but the fact that, you know, Poirier and Nate Diaz would fight each other at 170 pounds. These guys both should be 155ers. Like, who, who are we kidding here? Like, yeah. you know, I I love Nate. I'll, I'll fight Nate whatever weight class he wants to fight in. Same thing with Nick. And and Nick fought as a, a bloated uh, middleweight <laughs> last time around. Yeah, I, I would watch I would watch Nate at, at, you know, 205 pounds if he just wants to eat pizza. I'd watch him at whatever. But both of these guys would be at their best 
at 155 pounds. Uh, now, even and Dustin is actually bigger than Nate. Like Dustin could probably pull it off even better than Nate could. But does yeah. it annoy you that they're going to fight? If they fight, they're going to fight at 170 when they both should be 155ers. No, that doesn't bother me because really there's no title implications on the line. It's not like, you know, both of them are fighting to to be next in line uh, for Oliveira or something like that at 155. So if they're happy, you know, and, and that's where they want to scrap, let them scrap like, you know, that way. A lot of it is, is just the process of the weight cut. Um, another thing Dustin was talking about, you know, a few days later after the fight, um, he said to Ariel Hawani is, it is he can cut the weight. He can get down to 155. If he had won the title, he he could defend it a couple times, whatever, and get down to 155. It's just the process of, you know, barely eating, you know, two months leading up to the fight, feeling hungry all the time in training camp. You know, the process that you have to do it right. You know, instead of trying to cut 15, 20 pounds in the last two weeks, I mean, to do it right, you have to really, you know, watch your calories two, three months in advance. And, and you know, that makes for a grumpy training camp you know you don't get to eat that much and you're cutting calories and watching them real close and, and you got to train you know probably twice a day so it's that part of it that Dustin is not sure he really wants to go through again especially if the title's not on the line um so yeah let him do it at 170 both fighters will be happy with that um there's no title implications on the line I, I'm I don't I, I don't see why anyone would complain about that yeah, and I love the way that Nate Diaz called him out, by the way. He tweeted out, I will fight DP in January. Don't be a scared little bitch this time now or never. Like, it's <laughs> the most Diaz brother way to call a guy out. I absolutely love it. And that'd be a lot of fun watching those guys scrap. What about for Charles Oliveira? Because there's something uh, kind of interesting here. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's, it's one of the toss-up questions. So let, let's table this on what okay. could be next for Oliveira. I'll just mention real quick, we're going to cover this in the toss-up. Uh, it's probably going to be Justin Gaethje next, but sounds to me like Oliveira is dropping some hints. He'd like to fight Conor McGregor next. Now, uh, McGregor doesn't deserve a title shot, but I can understand why Oliveira would be looking for that payday. We'll, we'll circle back to that. But co-main event. This is one of the biggest shockers I've ever seen. And you could see it like you could hear a pin drop in that arena after Juliana Pena submitted Amanda Nunes in the second round. Uh, I, for the life of me, I wasn't expecting it. I know we had our guy, Frank Zaffrey, when we were talking about betting picks for last week, Frank, and he didn't follow his own advice, he told me, but he suggested to me, why don't you just put a little money, like buy a lottery ticket on uh, Juliana Pena, who is like plus six hundred or plus six fifty, throw a little bit, throw a little bit of money on Pena. If she does pull it off, you're not going to lose much money. You could win a lot of money. Uh, I didn't end up doing that. I did have, uh, you know, because uh, I didn't bet Amanda straight up, obviously, because she was like minus a thousand. But I did have Amanda as the fifth leg of a five fight parlay. So I go into that fight thinking I got this. All I need left. <laughs> All I need left is for Amanda Nunes to, to win a fight that she could just win rolling out of bed. But and you could see, you know, not only could you hear a pin drop, but you could see like the the people that the UFC put on camera, like in the front row, like jaws were just dropping left and right. The Pena pulled this off, and it was similar in a bit to in a way to the main event, the way that Poirier started off well in the first round. Amanda Nunes started off really well in the first round against Juliana Pena. She was doing all her stuff. She was landing heavy shots. It looked like she was going to be firmly in control of the fight. What happened, though, James, in the second round? Because Juliana Pena started really pressuring, really coming forward, really brawling, really landing heavy, heavy shots. Like, I know this goes down as a submission victory. She made Amanda Nunes quit. 
That type of submission, I call that a mercy kill. When you've been battering your opponent with strikes, you used to see this a lot more in the earlier days of the UFC. You don't see it as much recently. But when one fighter is getting battered with strikes, they go down or they give up their back to their opponent because they're hurt and stunned. The opponent locks in a rear naked choke, and you can tell the other fighter is just looking for a way out. Amanda Nunes tapped out very quickly, and that choke wasn't even all the way in. She quit. She was looking for a way out of that fight. What do you think led to her downfall, James? Because Amanda was very tired. Like, she gassed out in that second round. Do you think the primary reason for her gassing out, do you think she might have taken Juliana lightly because she was buying into her own hype? Because that was a fight she was supposed to win with no problem. Did she not train hard enough? Or I think it was a lot of it was a tactical error because Amanda, to me, when she started to get in some trouble in the second round, she was swinging for the fences. I don't think she was conserving her energy properly. I think that's what did her in. Yeah, I I have two theories on this, and and you mentioned one of them. I I don't think she trained hard enough. I mean, that's one theory. You know, when does a champion like Amanda Nunez, who has had short fights, have had long fights, when has she ever gassed out so early in a fight? I I mean, maybe I've seen her gas out in the fourth and fifth round, maybe earlier in her career. But, I mean, she's had five-round wars with Shevchenko. She's had, you know, just throwing down with Cyborg, you know, hard for, you know, a full round or so. Um, I've never seen her gas out that early. So that's a clue to me that maybe she didn't train as hard as, as she could have. I'm not saying that she didn't train at all, but maybe not as hard as she could have. Um, you know, she had the COVID, you know, COVID situation. So obviously, you know, maybe after the COVID situation, when the fight got pushed back, maybe that extra five weeks or so, she didn't train as, as, as well as she probably could have in the first or did in the first five weeks. You know, who knows what would happen, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID, um, you know, in her training camp. My other theory is that, you know, she said after the fight that she checked out and, and check out is, is a mysterious term. I'm trying to figure out exactly what she means by that. But I wonder if in her mind, in her heart of hearts, she thought she would run through Pena so easily, hit her with a few shots like she did in the first round, and Pena would be done. You know, that's what happened to Cyborg. That's what happened to Ronda Rousey. That's what happened to a lot of opponents that she's faced to where once she lands a couple big shots, they either wilt or, you know, they're not the same fighter and and she could finish them off after that. Pena was right back in it in that second round. And I think it really shocked her to where she was saying in her mind, in her heart of hearts, like, whoa, this is going to be a long night. You know, if she's going to have to finish Pena, it's going to take four or five rounds. And I don't know if she was mentally prepared for that. I don't know if she was physically prepared for that. So she kind of, quote unquote, checked out. As she mentioned, she took a few hard shots, had a way out, you know, easy takedown. Um, and, and, you know, gave up the easy submission. So those are my two theories. Either she didn't train hard enough to where she gassed out in the second round, which is unlike her. And secondly, I think she thought she was going to run through Pena in her heart of hearts and, and kind of knock her out in the first round or so. So when Pena was firing back in the second round, she knew it was going to be a long night and didn't, you know, just didn't feel mentally and physically prepared for it. Now, let me ask you the million-dollar question as far as, like, how much credit we give to Juliana Pena moving forward. I would assume the logical move here is to do an immediate rematch because the yep. UFC tends to give that sort of treatment to dominant champions like Amanda. So if they do an immediate rematch, whether that happens six, nine, 12 months from now, um, what do you expect to happen in the rematch? Because like, if, if this is the type of moment where we're saying, oh my God, Juliana Pena has arrived. She's now the baddest woman on the planet. Do you think Juliana Pena can beat her again? Because I don't think she can't. Like, despite how convincing – that was a convincing performance by Juliana Pena. 
But I just I can't see her doing that to Amanda Nunes twice. I think Nunes is going to she's going to be a heavy favorite. Amanda not as heavy a favorite. She'll be a relatively heavy favorite, I think, in the rematch. And as long as she shows up motivated and fights smarter, right? Don't yep. prepare better, and also don't gas yourself out in the fight. Uh, and, you know, cutting down to 135 for her. She's a dual weight or was a dual weight class champion. She's still the 145 champ. She lost her 135 belt. I'm sure that cutting down to 135 takes a lot more out of her uh, cardio wise than 145 does. But I think if she fights a lot smarter, like economically with her cardio, I, I think Amanda will probably win the rematch relatively dominantly. Yeah, and I, I agree. And, and the two theories that I presented to you of why I thought she lost, she can fix, right? Yeah. She, not training hard enough, she can do that easily in the rematch. She can have a full yeah. fight camp, go all out, take Juliana Pena seriously, and come in, you know, in the best shape that she's ever been to where she won't gas out in the second round. So that's easily fixable. Also, being prepared for a war, not thinking now that she's going to run through Juliana Pena in a round or two. And, you know, if it ends up being a, a four round, five round war, she could be more mentally prepared for it because now she's seen it. That Pena isn't just going to go away easily and wilt like some of her other opponents. So those those things are easily correctable. So I think, you know, if they do have a rematch, I mean, this kind of sounds like an international fight week kind of rematch to me. You know, yes, in July, July, maybe. Yeah. July co-main events, something like that. Um, you know, and, and have a, a big headline, you know, in the summer, maybe John Jones versus gone in winner or something like that. That, that's look, I'm already matchmaking back, you know, already in July. That's crazy. You're doing a but. damn good job. Not only do I want to buy that, I want to fly out and watch it live. Like the way hey. we, with these fights you're describing, John Jones, either gone or in Ghana, whoever wins that title fight, and Amanda, yep. Amanda, Juliana, part two. I'm flying out to Vegas for that. Yeah. Yep. And, and I, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, you know, Amanda can can fix those, you know, those uh, mistakes that she made tactically in the fight. I, I don't really think this loss really has much as much to do with her technically. I, I don't think, you know, Pena has more skills or is more technically sound. I, I just think Pena made some of those uh, strat strategic errors, maybe in training camp and coming into the fight that that, that really cost her. So here's here's something I, I wanted to make sure we talk about it. I want to encourage those watching live, uh, make your comments, because if I if I leave any out here, please let me know. Where do you rank Juliana Pena over Amanda Nunes in the biggest upsets? We'll start in UFC history. We can also expand it to combat sports history. I don't think we're topping uh, Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson, but if we start <laughs> with the UFC here, James, some of the biggest upsets that stand out to me over the years going back a ways in the UFC. Uh, I, I don't I don't rank this one that highly, but I'll throw it in there. Michael Bisping over Luke Rockhold. I, it was a lot more surprising then than it is in hindsight because Luke Rockhold, his, he fell off the cliff so precipitously yeah. that if you look back on it, it's not that surprising that Bisping beat him and knocked him out because Rockhold's chin really, really went after that. But that, that was a big upset at the time. Uh Holly Holm over Ronda Rousey. That yeah. that was a that was a shocker on fight night. And part of the reason why that one was such a shocker, um, you know, Ronda still had the mystique at that point. That was still when Ronda and she had a very even more of a precipitous drop, by the way, than Luke Rockhold did. But at that time, Ronda Rousey looked invincible. Like you knew she yeah. knew she probably didn't really know how to strike, but she didn't need to. Her judo was so dominant. No one had an answer for it. Everybody knew Ronda was going to take them down and armbar them. And literally nobody could stop it to that point. And Holly Holm just really stopped it 
with amazing footwork, boxing, and kickboxing. And Ronda just couldn't close the distance and do anything. She ultimately got kicked in the head. That was a huge upset. But to me, I think the real debate comes down between these two. If, if you want to really debate, because Juliana Pena over Amanda Nunes, massive upset. But how does it compare to Matt Sarah over George St. Pierre? Uh, that was my pick. That Bro, was my pick. James, I can make a case for both, okay? On the one hand, if you look at the differences in the champions who lost their belts that night, George St. Pierre, I think this was in 2007 when he lost to Matt Sarah or Amanda Nunes this past Saturday. Um, I would say that in the moment, Amanda Nunes at this time, a more dominant looking champion than George St. Pierre was at that point. Now, GSP yeah. at that point, that, that was kind of earlier in his trajectory. He did already have massive wins over BJ Penn and a rematch win over Matthews. He would go on to beat those guys again and win multiple, you know, but that was like kind of the, the beginning of George St. Pierre's run of dominance, whereas for Amanda Nunes, She's been at the top of the mountain in two different weight classes for a long time now. So I would say as far as who was a more dominant established champion at the time, I would say Amanda gets the edge. But then the flip side of it is what about the opponent? OK, yep. and this is why I'm leaning to Matt Sarah over George St. Pierre as the bigger upset, because, dude, Matt Sarah, I mean, I love him. Great personality, he good good coach was a fine fighter, but Matt Sarah was just a guy. Like yeah. Matt Matt Sarah, at least you could say for Juliana Pena, she's been one of the better female fighters since she's been in the UFC. Like Matt Sarah was a dude. He essentially got a golden ticket, Willy Wonka style. He competed on a really bad season of The Ultimate Fighter, where in order to boost the ratings, that season that Sarah was on, Dana White promised a welterweight title shot. To whoever won the season, Matt Sarah, who's a journeyman guy, wins the season. He gets to fight George St. Pierre, was supposed to get smashed. You know, he, in the most improbable, improbable fashion, pulled off that knockout victory. Uh, and then Matt Sarah, you know, again, he had decent fights here and there, nice career. George St. Pierre rematched Matt Sarah. It was embarrassing. It wasn't even close. Like when they had the rematch and George St. Pierre just dominated him. You remember George St. Pierre for like five, six years didn't finish anybody except Matt Sarah. Like Matt he, actually, Sarah. Yeah. he put Matt Sarah away. So it's like if you go by who was the more dominant champion at that time, you know, I'm not judging George St. Pierre by the standards of six, seven years later at that moment versus Amanda Nunes. I give the edge to Amanda Nunes now, but I give the huge edge to the opponent because Matt Sarah really had no business winning a fight like that, where at least Juliana Pena is in the upper echelon of the women's division. So I go with GSP over, or sorry, Matt Sarah over GSP. Do you agree? I agree with that. And that would have been my, my top pick. I wonder what the odds were back then. That's probably something that, that could be looked up at, at some point. I could probably Google that. Um, Cause you have to factor that in too. If you know, Pena was plus six, uh, 650 and whatever Matt Sarah was. And so yeah. it kind of gives you a, a, a window into how things were viewed at that time. But but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Pena is is more of a force in, in women's MMA than what Matt Sarah was, who, as you mentioned, was a journeyman, just kind of hung on. I already uh, found it, by the way. Oh, let me hear it. So also, James, by the odds, that was a bigger upset. GSP was minus 1,300. And Matt Sarah was plus 850. Wow. So okay. I, I'm, not I'm not sure what the line closed at for Amanda's loss to Juliana, but I... 
you know, when we were doing the show Thursday, I, I had the odds open. And at that point, Amanda was minus a thousand. And I think Juliana yep. was like plus 650, something like that. So the odds yep. were also wider for Matt. I mean, plus 850, bro. If, if I could go <laughs> back in time and like put a few grand on that, I'll be living good. <laughs> hey, if you go back in time and you already know the result, you put a lot more than a few grand. Uh, yeah, yeah, on true. that one but but I, I think yeah exactly I, I think that I think that closes the I think that closes the argument I mean we both were leaning yeah. Matt Sarah I mean so at the time that's kind of how you know how it was viewed as a you know as a bigger upset but take nothing away I mean this was this was a big upset this was this was a shocker uh but yeah let's let's see how the rematch goes and, and how competitive that be that will be and also let's see how Juliana Pena's career goes you know, after this, I mean, will she defend the title multiple times? Will she lose the title and then, you know, climb back into the, you know, into the rankings, things like that. So I think time will fully tell because we already know what happened to Matt Sarah and we already kind of, you know, GSP's uh, legacy is cemented and, and Amanda Nunez's legacy for, for the most part is cemented. Yeah. But let's see how Ju Juliana Pena's career turns out um, to where we might not be looking at this as a, as a huge upset. If she defends the title two or three times, it's like, okay, she was a legitimate champion. <laughs> By the way, Joseph Rodriguez totally got uh, our reference about going back in time. Biff has the almanac. I got to get the sports almanac back from Biff Tannen. Were you a big Back <laughs> to the Future fan, James? Nah, not really. Oh, lame. <laughs> but not by really. the way, since you got me looking up odds, I, I still, I'm going to stick with our answer of Matt Serra over GSP. But the odds were actually even wider on Holly Holm when she knocked out Ronda Rousey. But still, really? it's like, that was all about the Rousey mystique. Uh, mm -hmm. Ronda Rousey for that first for that fight was minus fifteen hundred. Wow! And Holly Holm was plus twelve hundred. So wow, wow! People who bet on that one got a nice return. That's crazy. I'll tell you a quick story from that fight. Uh, I was covering a Dolphins Eagles game, I believe, in Philadelphia, nice. and so uh, you know, so I wanted to see the fight. So you know, Atlantic City is just a you know whatever a 40, 50 minute ride right across. Uh, to New Jersey. So I went over, I drove from Philly. It was a Saturday night, you know, before a Sunday game, I drove over to Atlantic city to watch, you know, to watch the fight, um, the home, uh, home Rousey fight. And there was a guy at the table sitting right next to me and he was taking bets. You know, he was like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm betting Holly home. Anyone wants to bet, you know, Ronda Rousey, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, obviously I, even I thought about it. I'm like, Oh, yeah. this, this is, he was betting straight up, you know, so oh God, what an idiot. Well, you yeah. thought anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So there was a guy, there was a guy that took like a hundred dollar bet or whatever. Um, so I'm thinking like, oh, this guy's just gonna lose his money a hundred bucks. And I didn't know the guy, so I didn't say anything, but I would have definitely taken Rousey that night for straight up for a hundred, you know, for whatever money I had in my pocket. And uh sure enough, Holly lands that kick, and the, the look on the guy's face was so shocked. Like, how did you know that? How did you know that this upset was gonna happen? He was so oh proud of me. You know, won that money. It was really a sucker's bet, though, to bet straight up when wow. you, know, you look at those kind of odds. But yeah, man. Yeah, but yeah, the, the guy, you know, it's Atlantic City. The guy had a gambling mood and had a feeling, <laughs> and Holly Holm ended up winning. So I don't know yeah. how he knew, but he knew. You know, you know it, it reminds me, this is apropos of nothing, although it kind of is apropos of something because it, it, what you were talking about got me thinking. Dude, like pe people who on Twitter like will see me, like sometimes I'll tweet about bets I'm going to make or bets that I made. You get some weird, shady characters that slide into your DMs. So this one time months ago, I never followed up with this because it seems like something that could get somebody locked up in prison somewhere. 
But I got a direct message from somebody in England and another a friend of mine who also, you know, places wagers sometimes. He told me the same person DM'd him and we we're kind of comparing notes. I got a direct message on Twitter from somebody in the UK claiming he is part of an operation that fixes lower tier English soccer games, that it's like third or fourth division. And they actually fix games, supposedly. I, you know, I, again, I, I didn't go too deep down the rabbit hole because, like, I was kind of worried about, like, you know, MI6 or Scotland Yard or something might be in on the conversation. But <laughs> there are actually people out there that claim they are fixing low-level professional soccer games that you can bet on. And he was basically trying to give me, like, guaranteed money. But then at the same time, uh, even if I was morally bankrupt enough to do this, and I'm I'm not, I still wouldn't have done it because also I don't know what kind of a service this guy is going to direct me to. Am I really going to like Venmo money to this guy's? So you know, there are a lot yeah. of red flags that came up, but there are people out there that claim they can fix professional soccer matches. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And and stick stick to crypto, man. It's, it's, yeah. it's much much better space, you know, to, to put your money in. And even crypto at this point, because it's so early in the game, is is a little bit like gambling, sort of risking. You don't really know these altcoins are gonna, you know, right. thrive or not thrive and stuff like that. So mostly the stable coins are, are better. But yeah, the the gambling thing, I you know, I just yeah. never really understood why so many people. Uh, you know, kind of go that route, but whatever. It's uh, crypto is a put your money in crypto. If I would say anything to my to this audience here, so you're saying if some bloke in like Northern England DM'd you about a great opportunity on fixing soccer games, you'd say no, really? Come on, <laughs> no, whatever money that was, put put it in Bitcoin. Whatever money you were thinking about putting into that, put it in yeah. Bitcoin. By the way, th this message from JC got me thinking, uh, and obviously this is this is purely a fantasy matchup. I don't know if we could convince our guy Khabib to come out of retirement. I would love it if he did. And James, I would love to see that fight. Like, what do you think would happen? Charles Oliveira against Khabib Nurmagomedov. L let me make the case here for Chuck, okay? Let me make the case for Chuck. His strengths, I think, play in very well to Khabib's perceived weaknesses. I'm not going to say he has weaknesses, but you think about a guy like Oliveira that if Khabib were to repeatedly take him down, uh, that's a guy who could really make you suffer with submissions even off of his back. Like you would really have to mind your P's and Q's. And then if Khabib were to decide, maybe I won't take this guy down so much. He's also a really dangerous, unpredictable striker who mixes up his attacks really well. Khabib was not the best striker. Like, uh, Khabib was functional. Like, he could strike enough to set up takedowns, but, you know, he wasn't typically going to hurt anybody on his feet. So, I mean, I, I guess I would still have to lean to Khabib because he was just such a juggernaut, but I think that would have been a perfect fight. I think that if, if you could go, if you could get Khabib out of retirement to fight Oliveira, that would be like a much better version of the Tony Ferguson fight that we were ever able to make happen, never able to make happen because yeah. it, it was a similar sort of matchup, right? I mean, Ferguson also unpredictable, unconventional striker, really dangerous submissions. But I, I think Oliveira is even better than Tony Ferguson was at that time. So I think that would be a saucy matchup. And do you think, and I love your take on it, James, but first, do you think Dana White is like making that phone call just to kind of see, or is he just nah. going to totally respect Khabib's retirement? Nah, it's, it's it's not a big enough money fight to for Dana White to really be that interested in it. I think now 
when Connor was coming back and had Connor had won some fights and beat Dustin and stuff like that, Khabib Connor too would have made enough money for Dana White to come to Khabib and say, Hey, look, it's probably a $20 million, you know, purse on the line here. Right. You know, you can come back for once. I fight Oliveira Khabib, although it's a great, great, great style matchup and an interesting matchup that, uh, you know, us hardcore MMA fans would really want to see. I don't think that brings as much of the casual interest that could, you know, raise the purse. Like they're not going to pay Oliveira, you know, whatever, eight, 10 million to do that fight. And, and Khabib probably wouldn't make eight to 10 million to do that fight. So I, I, I don't see it happening, but I, I do think Oliveira would be Khabib's toughest style matchup. Uh, you know, that, that he's had, you know, because if the fight does go to the ground, which, you know, knowing those two, it probably will go to the ground. You know, I, I, I mean, Oliveira is as good as it comes, you know, being on his back or, you know, being on top in terms of submissions. So it, it that that would be interesting to see. But I, I don't see that happening. And, and really, I think for the next five years, we're going to be saying this, you know, that whoever is dominating in that division, hey, you know, could that person beat Khabib or, you know, what, you know, what have you. But just just not going to happen so i i would i would just kind of let it go and uh and michael says uh charles might end up fighting islam mahachev that's khabib light could answer a lot of the what ifs yeah no that's that's a really really great point really really great point so if uh, uh unless uh you know unless the ufc tries to give us Oliveira conor mcgregor i i assume and, and dana white has basically confirmed this a hundred times that justin gaethje is going to be the next opponent for Charles Oliveira for the 155 pound strap. Um, I certainly respect Gaethje's pressure and I respect his power and his chin. That guy, that, that dude, I mean, people kind of forget that in order to dish out as much striking yeah. violence as he dishes out, you also have to be able to walk through a lot. And Gaethje has never been stopped before in a fight. He's never been knocked out. So he's got an incredible chin. You have to kind of wonder if a few if a few years down the road he might be the type of guy where the chin is just going to go. Right? It's it's just going to go. Oh, and we got uh, Frankie Z back, so I'll I'll bring him here on this one, Frank. So now that uh, Oliveira has retained his title, and he is going to be presumably fighting next against Justin Gaethje, uh, who do you favor in that fight, Frank? Because I'm going to favor Charles just because he's got more ways to win, and I think he's the more polished overall fighter. But I do have to respect Gaethje's power. What do you think, Frank? Train runs out for Oliveira against Justin Gaethje. Gaethje's a different fighter now. Look, Justin Gaethje, first of all, Justin Gaethje's not going to come in with the baggage that Poirier came in with. Second of all, if you noticed, even in a fight with Michael Chandler where you know he was going a little crazy, he still – was measured enough not to chase him when he got that knockdown. He's a, he's a different fighter. He's a more mature fighter. And a mature Justin Gaethje is incredibly dangerous. He he KOs Oliveira in the third round when they fight. Okay. What about you, James? With the finish. You know, Frank and I have been on the same page with these picks for And you've usually been right, and I've been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Gaethje too, man. I mean, he hits like a Mack truck. To me, that fight plays out. Similar to the Chandler Oliveira fight, except Gaethje is a level better in several ways than Michael Chandler is. He hits a little harder. He's more calculated. He's more strategic. He get thrown the leg kicks. Um, you know, he's not just blitzing him. He's blitzing him strategically. Um, and I, 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 I see a finish as well. I, maybe not the third. Maybe later in the fight. But I, I don't know if there's many fighters in the division that can take Justin Gaethje's offense for five rounds. I, I just I just don't see it. You got to finish him. You got to finish Gaethje. You got to either choke him out like Khabib yeah. did, 
um, you know, or, or finish them. I, there's just not a lot of fighters that can really, uh, you know, take too much. And if they do, they end up like Tony Ferguson, where they're just never the same fighter, uh, you know, afterwards, right. if you do take his punishment for five rounds. Yeah. He just hits way too hard for the division um, that, you know, uh, maybe – maybe. Oh, go ahead. Frank. Well, I was just going to uh, jump on your comment there. And he's also too good a wrestler to allow the kind of, you know, back crawling from the standing position. No, I don't know about that. I, I, I think, um, honestly, I think he's a good enough wrestler not to get taken down. But I don't know if you can stop the uh, the Spider-Man backpack instincts of Oliveira. <laughs> <laughs> I think Gaethje's wrestling is really good. I think he'll be able to handle that. He'll be able to keep the fight where he needs to keep it. And that is, as James pointed out, as vicious a striker as he is, if he's capable also of making you stay in that yeah. fight and not transitioning to the ground, then, yeah, you're not going to be able to withstand him for that long. I guess I like I just have a hard time in the deepest weight class, right? Like the best, deepest weight class, a brawler becoming champion, right? I mean, how many brawlers have we had holding UFC titles? Like, I mean, back in the day, I'd consider Chuck Liddell Chuck a Liddell. brawler. Chuck Liddell was a brawler. You know, didn't, didn't use his wrestling offensively, but used it to stop – takedowns i mean i guess shogun was was kind of a was kind of a brawler relatively speaking um yeah how, like, how many brawlers have we actually had as champions over the years i can't think of too many but alex to be fair to justin gaethje and his evolution he's not that crazy brawler anymore he yeah. still has the brawling abilities but he's a measured fighter now yeah. just ask yeah. tony ferguson who you yeah. just referenced yeah. i mean you know yeah. or james referenced i mean he's a different cat than he was when he would just exchange knockout blows with you in the pocket and see who's standing you know and that's how he was losing fights yeah he lost to dustin poirier and yeah so and his leg kicks i mean he's really developed probably the best leg kicks in the division i mean they they come hard they come fast I mean, it's it's almost as strong of a weapon as as his as his punching. I mean, his punching is probably the strongest in the division as well. So, on the feet, I mean, he's as complete a fighter on the feet as we have, and he's a good wrestler, you know, defensive wrestler and an offensive wrestler. Although he doesn't use it very much offensively anymore. So I want to go back. Oh, oh, no, I was just going to say uh, before we get into the toss up, I wanted Frank to run something by you. James and I were talking about this while while you were picking up your vehicle. Um, so we we talked a lot about. Juliana Pena pulling off what I thought was impossible beating Amanda Nunes. Do you rank that as the biggest upset in UFC history? Because James and I, we both gave the edge to Matt Sarah over George St. Pierre back in 2007. Um, Holly Holm over Ronda Rousey is also in there. Now, knowing what we know now about Ronda, it doesn't seem like nearly as big of an upset. But at the time, Holly Holm was a plus 1,200 underdog. That was even a bigger dog than Pena was. Uh, but to me, I, I think Pena over Nunez is like top two, top three. But I still give the edge to Sarah over GSP. Yeah, for me, it's number one. And uh, look, Ooh. Holly Holm, I, I don't, I, I, you know, look, I picked Holly Holm back then. She's a real fighter, yeah. you know, and 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 the, the odds don't reflect the reality of that matchup. And, of course, Ronda found out real fast what mm -hmm. the reality of that matchup was. Now, yeah. Matt Sarah, GSP, I remember that fight, you know, as I know you guys probably do too. Mm -hmm. Matt Sarah, also a real fighter. You know, like there's something about – the infancy still of women's MMA where when you have a win a few, lose a few, only fought a few times fighter like Pena, you know, who's going up against the best we've ever seen in that gender in mixed martial arts. It, it just seems to me to be 
the most spectacular and the most unanticipated. Matt Sarah, he was a he fought and he beat the crap out of some people, and that was his game. That was the game he that no, but that was the game that that he won with when he did win, and GSP was not prepared to deal with it. But it, it, it what was very very surprising, it wasn't like oh my god, you know what was more surprising I thought in that fight was that GSP tapped out to strikes which everyone forgets about. <laughs> but, you know, George St. Pierre <laughs> tapped out the strikes. So I just want to well, And, and Frank, I mean, uh, Amanda, <laughs> Amanda Nunes quit. Like, she 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 was tired. She was beaten up. And then as soon as Juliana even started to put on a choke, she tapped – like, the choke wasn't even in. She was tapping out. I tell you what, guys. I hate to say that any of these people have quit when I watch. I mean, I could see maybe their bodies are broken. Maybe right. something about her ability to compete had broken, but mentally quitting, I have a hard time saying that about any of them, and especially the lioness. You know, yeah. I mean, but also man. Conor McGregor quit against my guy Nate Diaz. Conor McGregor rolled over knowing what was going to happen. Yeah, he, he gave him a joke. He's like, "Here, take it. I want out." He didn't, he didn't just it. he didn't tap just tap like you know like he wanted to. He he at least rolled over so that the <laughs> performance could. Uh, that's could true. lead him out of the fight. Yes. All right. Let's get into Frank. If you if you have the uh, the questions in front of you, let's get into yeah. a new episode of the toss up. All right, guys. Does this loss to Juliana? Does this loss to Juliana Pena affect Amanda Nunez's legacy? No, not unless she loses to her a second time. And I, and I name wrong. Nunez. Sorry. Yes. No, I think Stop. it is Nunez because she's. Is it? Uh, it's hard for me to no, say. No, because like it's it's, uh, it's Portuguese, not Spanish. I think it's. Uh, uh, I think it is Nunez. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that explains no, it. Don't don't overthink it. Don't overthink <laughs> it. You're good. You're good. But no, I honestly, right now, no. Uh, and first of all, we forget Amanda still has a belt. Like she she was a champ champ. Like she still is the 145 pound champion. She lost the 135 pound title. I would imagine the UFC will give her an immediate rematch because that's usually what they do with dominant champions like her. And I think she wins the rematch. I, I think at the end of her career, we're going to look back at this one as a blip on the radar for Amanda, an amazing moment for Juliana Pena. And then another thing, and James, I'll let you pick up on this point as well. Um, people are talking as if now all of a sudden, well, we can't do Amanda Nunez versus Kayla Harrison like that fight is dead I don't I don't see why I mean you you probably want Amanda to get this rematch first but I don't see why you can't still do Amanda Nunes for Kayla Harrison I mean, Amanda Nunes still to me the baddest woman on the planet despite this loss Kayla Harrison might be though the baddest woman on the planet and they'd be doing that fight at 145 where Amanda still has a belt not 135 I don't see why you can't do that fight yeah, Alex, you hit on all the great points. Uh, so, you know, I'll just echo a couple of things. You know, if it's a lot of pressure on Amanda Nunes in the rematch, because if she loses that rematch, then I think we can ask that question about her legacy and whether she was as good as we, you know, as we all think she is losing to Pena two times in a row. Um, so, yeah, right now, no. I mean, we're going to look at this as, as you know, just a – just a, a hiccup, um, you know, in, in her path, especially if she goes back and wins. I, Frank, when you were gone, I called this fight as as the co-main event for International Fight Week. I think it's a great co-main, uh, you know, for that for July. Um, so yeah, if Nunez wins, she she'll be double champ again. You know, probably make history. I don't know if there's ever been a two-time double champ. I don't know how you, how you would count that if she loses the belt and then gets it back. So that's another thing she could put on her, you know, not another notch on her belt. And uh, yeah, a great great setup for Kayla Harrison. They can have that fight afterwards, but. 
Uh, but yeah, right now it doesn't affect her legacy. I just view it as an off night. I still think she has more skills and uh, more ability than any female fighter we've ever seen. Who's the reporter that uh, Dana White called a dipshit? Ariel Helwani. No, he just he just recently oh. called somebody a dipshit. I don't remember the guy's name, but I want to give him credit. Uh, he was called a dipshit because he had said that Amanda Nunes could never be uh, a big time market marketable champion for the UFC, and that she had all she had done by beating Ronda Rousey and Cyborg was destroy the two women who could be huge marketing machines. Wow. You know what? He's he's right. That's right. You know, Amanda Nunez's legacy is, is is who cares, honestly. And it's a shame because she's the best fighter, a female fighter I've ever seen. And probably Darren Robell. So Darren Robell is the one he Thank you. Dipshit. Yeah, yeah. So that's her legacy, that she's destroyed the marketing of champions in the you know in these two divisions um this uh the uh kayla harrison like that there is a future potential megastar market i love machine, her in my she, opinion dude she, she is so she yeah. speaks so and i feel bad saying that because i think part of amanda's issue is just not being proficient in english does hurt her right like it and it, being completely disinterested yeah. in partaking in any kind of PR, Alex. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she's not even trying to do it. Yeah. She's a very nice person. I've met her, but she's yeah. not interested in this part of the business at all. No, no. And it's a really important part of the business. Yeah. So I'm kind of hoping that she just kind of like, I don't know, sails away a little bit and let's bring in this new blood because I'm excited to have, I'm excited to see her potential. Yeah. And and by the way, I, I was watching uh, Kayla Harrison was on with Ariel Helwani on the MMA hour. She's being very coy. Like she she's the hottest free agent in mixed martial arts right now. She definitely has an offer on the table to remain with PFL. And I'm, I'm repping PFL today, by the way. So she's got the <laughs> offer on the table to stay with PFL. It sounds like she has what she described as an evolving offer from the UFC, like which means they're probably trying to talk the UFC into a little bit more. Um, you know, Bellator could be in play because obviously her fighting Cyborg would be a big deal. So the, the, those are probably like the big, you know, the big hitters for potentially getting Kayla Harrison services. You know, selfishly, I want to see her in the UFC because I, I want to see her fighting the best of the best. Because like, listen, in PFL, she stays in PFL. All she's going to do at 155 pounds, by the way, because she said if she stays with PFL, she'll stay at 155 there's no real competition. She's just going to collect. And listen, if she stays there, it's financially, right? Because she can keep getting those million-dollar checks to just run through tomato can after tomato can after tomato can. So as a fan, I want to see Kayla Harrison fighting the best of the best. And, like, some people have asked me, hey, you know, she and Amanda are teammates in American Top Team. Would they even fight each other? They've said they would. Like, uh, you know, the whole the whole not fighting teammate, ver teammate versus teammate, you know, that – Obviously, if you're on the way up, that's a factor. Like if you're if you're trying to earn a title shot, you don't want you know you don't want to fight your teammate, potentially eliminate your teammate. But when you're talking about belts on the line, mega fights, they're professionals. Like they're able to put this stuff aside. And I think that Kayla and Amanda, who are friendly, they have trained together before. They probably avoid each other in the gym sometimes on purpose, just because they may fight in the future. But they would put that aside to fight. So you know, I I I'd like to see it someday. Yeah, it's not the first time American top teams had that issue, right? Yeah, so, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they know how to handle it. All right, uh, Jake Paul has offered Tyron Woodley a half a million dollar bonus if Woodley knocks him out. Does this make <laughs> you more or less interested in watching the rematch? It actually makes me more interested. I mean, I, I was at like I was at like a zero before. I'm at like a 
10 out of 100 now. Like, I'm oh, more interested <laughs> because you know what this is, man? And Tyron Woodley has said it. He is motivated by money. We all are. Like, no one ever wants to hear athletes say it. Like, you should be in it for the sports, sir, not the – come on. No matter what line of work – everyone's motivated by money. No matter what line of work you're in, I, I can understand it. I can respect it. So, you know, Tyron Woodley, he is excited about the opportunity. And if this motivates him, guys, because I, I thought he was way too gun-shy the last time they fought, as he's been throughout his MMA career as well. And so if this gives Tyron Woodley an extra half million dollars incentive to put that clown away, which I would love to see because I'm not a Jake Paul fan. Yeah, this makes me more interested in the fight. I, I think I'm going to watch it. Like I, the, the last one, I didn't watch it live. I watched a replay. I think this one, I think I'm going to watch it live. Man, Jake Paul is smart. You know, all he's doing with this is he's offering a half a million dollars to Woodley, but saying that it's probably going to bring in another million dollars or $2 million in pay-per-view buys because yep. there's going to be people like Alex who are more excited now and say, oh, you know, Tyron Woodley, who hasn't really fired his shot in his last five or six fights, now he might actually fire his shots and, and now I'll pay for the pay-per-view. So, so that's a that's a great mathematical proposition. You you offer half a million dollars. You may not even have to pay. I'm sure he's confident that he's not going to get knocked out. So you offer that, make a couple mil, couple million dollars in return for for the casuals who think, okay, this is going to be an exciting fight now when it's probably not going to be. But anyway, yeah. uh, so I think this is a marketing ploy, and I, I think it's a great move uh, to to offer that, especially being as confident as as he is, knowing that you know probably you know Woodley is going to show up, you know, in the way that he showed up in his last five or six fights. I mean, why wouldn't you think he's going to be any different um, in this one? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you, but you left out one other brilliant move or reason why this is a brilliant offer. He's going to take a already not very good boxer and make him incredibly predictable because Tyron's going to be head hunting. So now he's just going to, yeah. So now he's made the fight that much easier for him. So he sells more. He has a far less chance of losing. Win-win-win um, for, for for Jake Paul. So, yeah. Uh, am I going to watch the fight? No. Uh, not because I because they're going to make me pay for it. You know, so honestly, gonna... <laughs> the, the the main reason why I'm going I'm going to watch that event is I want to watch Frank Gore. Uh, you know, <laughs> Frank Frank Gore is on the undercard against uh, former NBA player Darren Williams. I'm just I, I'm a big Frank Gore fan. I, I am got, too, man. Yeah. yeah, he's a great athlete. I mean, incredible, yeah. ageless athlete. But yeah. what's he doing? Like, I don't understand. Does he need money? Uh. I mean, prob- yeah, it's a great question because, like, you would think because he, he played in the such- NFL forever. Yeah. yeah, he played. I mean, th- this is like a running back who played as long as Tom Brady. Like, he right. played forever. Like, running backs usually don't last that long. So, I, I maybe he had some bad investments. I don't know. I hope not. I, I do right. remember once, by the way, as a side story. You know, when I when I was uh, years ago, when I was working at Seven Ninety, the ticket, the old Seven Ninety Studios on uh, on Four Forty One, for uh, for like a year. There was a restaurant that was open, um, like in the shopping center, right next to the studios, and it had a restaurant that was owned by Frank Gore called the Hip Hop Grub Spot, and they actually had some good wraps there, good wraps, good curly fries, but the place only stayed in business, I think, for like eight or nine months, so maybe he's still mm-hmm. kind of recovering that Hip Hop Grub Spot money. I don't, I don't know what the deal is. Well, something's not right with him financially. But yeah. uh, all right, Conor McGregor said his next fight will be against whoever won the lightweight uh, main event last Saturday. Should the UFC really book Conor McGregor against champion Charles Oliveira? 
No. Um, Oliveira, you can tell he's low-key campaigning for it, which is obvious. The, the guy wants to get paid. Like he, you know, that, that's the biggest, that's the biggest payday. Anyone who anyone who's anywhere between 145 to 185 pounds, if there's like some way in where they can be similar enough in size to fight Conor McGregor, everybody wants to fight Conor McGregor. It's red panty night. Remember what McGregor <laughs> said to to uh, to Rafael Dos Anjos, red panty night. That, that's what it is. Like, you know, it's a it's a fight you'll probably win because Charles Oliveira probably beats Conor McGregor. And you know you're going to get the biggest payday of your life. So I can understand why Oliveira wants it. And he's kind of talking as if, like, you know, I deserve this because I didn't want to fight this guy before I won the belt because I wanted to stay tunnel vision and get it. But now that I have the belt and defended it, you know, now I feel like I deserve this kind of a payday. Uh, at the same time, like, listen, all respect to Oliveira. You know, you look at the competitive landscape of that division. Lightweight is so deep. And if you start taking time away from that to chase imaginary dragons like Conor McGregor, you're going to create a logjam in a division that's got to keep moving because we basically have two slash three really good contenders lining up. It's going to be two, but obviously Justin Gaethje next in line and then the winner of Islam Mahachev against an excellent Benil Dariush should be next in line after that. I don't want to create a logjam there. Yeah, and I, I agree. Connor shouldn't fight Oliveira next. And and I, I think if from the UFC standpoint, and from the UFC standpoint, Connor McGregor has won, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, one fight in the last four years, something like that, since uh since 2017. His marketability is only at this level for so long. If he keeps if he loses one or two more fights in a row, you know, he's not going to be able to headline a, a UFC pay-per-view in a non-title fight, things like that. So you got to get those money fights in now. Put him in against Nate Diaz. Get that trilogy going. Put him in against Dustin Poirier if you have to. Get that fourth fight. Those fights are going to make uh, more money than even him going in a championship fight against Charles Oliveira. I, I don't see that selling quite as well as uh, a Nate Diaz or a Dustin Poirier Good point. Um, uh, you know, rematch. So. Why not get him in these money fights now? He he might lose to Nate Diaz. He might lose, um, you know, to Dustin Poirier in, in another fight to where two, three fights from now, people might not care about Connor, um, you know, at this level that they still care for him right now. So I think you got to get those money fights in, uh, you know, with Connor right now as soon as possible. If he goes against Oliveira and loses to the champion, it's like, okay, well, he's so far away from, you know, championship level. Why, why even buy his pay-per-views anymore? I, I couldn't agree more. You know, he's dropped two fights at 155. I mean, in no way is he qualified to face the champion. He, But to your point, James, he's at a crossroads. He has to decide, am I going to legitimately try to get the belt back at 155? And if so, I think his next opponent should be Michael Chandler. I think upon returning, I think that is a matchup that would make sense. I yeah. think it's a reasonable matchup, and I think the winner – would have a reasonable expectation that they are very high on the list or very close to knocking on that door again. Um, so, but, but to your point, you know, look, how seriously does he take this? How competitive is he really in today's 155 pound division? And then maybe you're just cashing in on money fights. I think the only thing that is kind of jamming him up for the obvious money fight for him is Nate Diaz is because I think Poirier is going to fight Nate Diaz. Yes. Well, and, 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 and on that note, um, Frank, are you with me? Because I'd, I'd rather see Poirier versus Nate Diaz right now than McGregor versus Nate Diaz. I mean, did you agree with me on that? 
I, I do agree with you. I agree with you for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, I, I'm a big Dustin Poirier fan. They have a grudge with each other, and I'd like yeah. to see him make some money on his way out because I think he realizes that the, the ship has sailed on a championship run a, 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 as a lightweight. Um, and then the other thing also is that I don't think Connor's a legit fighter anymore in MMA. I really no. don't think he's there anymore. I think it's a. I think he loses. I, I, you'd have to rattle off several names before you get to somebody that I think he can beat right now. Maybe Michael Chandler. Chandler. Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I think maybe. I think Michael Chandler. I think Michael Chandler might just might just beat him too. I yeah, know. I think my money would be on Michael Chandler. But you're right from a stylistic standpoint. That's the fight that would be the closest. But Nate Diaz is going to beat. Conor McGregor. I mean, he is. He can eat anything he can throw. He'll wait for him to get tired, and then he's going to kick his ass. So, And uh, Alex M., thanks for tuning in. He writes in, the return of McGregor versus Diaz uh, will sell more than Diaz versus Dustin. Uh, I mean, you're probably right, just because M McGregor is a bigger sell than Dustin. I mean, D Diaz is a big sell. McGregor is an even bigger sell than Diaz, and they're both bigger sells than Dustin. So, <laughs> You know, my math, I think, checks out that Alex is right. I think uh, I think McGregor versus Diaz would make more money, and it, it, it does make sense to settle that trilogy. I, I don't uh, I, I don't know. Uh, and, and why do you think, Frank, you were talking about uh, before we do have one more toss-up question, but before we get to that, because it's way off the beaten path, um, w why is McGregor no longer, you know, what he was in, in, his, in his prime? Because, like, physically he should still be in his prime, right? Has he just lost – all focus and actually being a serious fighter? No, it, it, it's really an obvious answer, right? Yeah. I mean, he just stopped evolving. Yeah. He just stopped training and evolving as a fighter. And if, as many of these fighters as, as we've talked to over the years, the, the, it's such a complex sport of, of, of a myriad of disciplines. He checked out for the boxing thing. And then, and then he was doing tours with whiskey. And look, it's great. He made money, but he stopped evolving. He's the same fighter he was. And everyone else is getting better in a variety of disciplines. And, and the book is out on him. They know Everyone knows he hasn't evolved. So they right. understand how to beat him. Whether the early onslaught of punches and kicks in the first round, tire him a little bit, and then get him to the ground or press him in the cage and make him work, and he will break. And he will break. What about? Uh, sorry, sorry. What about uh, J James and Frank as well? What about what about McGregor versus Tony Ferguson? I'd watch. I mean, Ferguson is obviously not who he was a few years ago. Neither is McGregor, but uh, I'd watch. Yeah, I mean that that fight is more you know just to set McGregor up for something bigger. But I I don't I don't know if you can do that at this point. I think you got to put McGregor in the fire at at this point with a big name to sell a, a lot. You can't risk the McGregor that we've seen over the last three or four years, you can't risk him losing another fight and not making money off it. Let's say he loses against Tony Ferguson. He's done. You know, as far as no one cares about what his next move is, no one cares to buy pay-per-views. Um, you know, so I think if you put him in there, you got to put him in there against another big name, whomever that may be, and preferably against a, a good person, a good style clash uh, with them to where McGregor can fight to his style. Um, so I'm thinking from the UFC's perspective. I'm not thinking about the opponent. I'm not even thinking about McGregor. I'm thinking about from the UFC's expectation when they when they get him back, who do they match him up with to make the most money? Um, that's that's all I'm thinking about. Is 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 Conor McGregor the biggest loser as an after effect of Poirier not capturing the belt? I mean, you know, 
He yeah. dropped two yeah. in a row to Dustin Poirier, who yeah. got choked out by Charles Oliveira. I mean, yeah. that's how far from where he thinks he is he actually is. Yeah, and that's a, that's a very good point. And, I, I mean, I think Connor could have even been in line for a surprise title shot had Dustin won. I, I think, right. he, you know, he, he could even make that, that case. Yeah. There would have been yeah, an angle for that. Exactly. You put a belt on the line. You got a lot of heat on that fight. Um, you know, some unfinished business. You know, you, you could make a legitimate case for that. Um, you know, fight for him to jump the line. Now, I, yeah, I mean, he's way, way down the line with Dustin losing. So I, I agree with you, Frank, that, that he's he's one of the biggest losers in this. Probably yeah, the my, biggest loser besides Poirier. And one of my right. first thoughts, you know, when Poirier lost was I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe two recent wins over Conor McGregor does not raise your stock as high as some people, you know, thought it did. Because that, you know, it's one of the big reasons that propelled him into a title shot was those two recent victories over Conor. Maybe beating Conor doesn't mean what it used to mean. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, true. Not not fighter of the year. I, I was I was going to say if had he won against Oliveira, he would have been in the running with Usman as fighter of the year. But yeah. since he didn't, you know, it turns out those Conor wins aren't as big. I have heard rumors, and I'm sorry to keep meandering on this topic, but I just wanted to ask you guys if you've heard these rumors that Dustin is thinking about going up in weight. Yeah. And there is legit beef between him and Colby Covington. Ooh, so yes. that would be a money fight there. I didn't even that, think about know, that. Doesn't involve Nate Diaz, but I've heard from you know different little whispers here and there that that's a fight that he's thinking about maybe cashing in on as well. It would See, be a yeah. tough fight for Dustin, but I mean, you know, we're talking about making money on your way out. Yeah. I mean, nobody sells a fight like Colby Covington. <laughs> yeah, because you know, you're, you're definitely right about him moving up in weight. I mean, he he said it uh, at the beginning of this week that that he he doesn't really feel like making the cut to 155 anymore. He wants to move up to 170. See, and and I like the way Frank thinks because I was only thinking of that in terms of you know Nate Diaz also doesn't really want to cut below 170 anymore. So that would make sense. You know, even though I was telling James while you were out, um, you know. Both of those guys, Diaz and Poirier, I think are, are at their best at 155, not at 170. So it's kind of annoying they're both going to fight, you know, at a weight class where they're a little bit heavier than they should be. But whatever, it, it is what it is. But you're right about that. I mean, if Dustin decides to make a permanent move up to 170 pounds, you've got to find a way to make that Colby Covington fight because this is another one of those guys, former teammates, and Colby has, you know, beef with a lot of the ATT guys who – I mean, you know, I know that part of the thing why a lot of them don't like Colby is all the stuff he was saying about Brazilians. And obviously Dustin is not Brazilian, but, you know, a lot of his friends are and stuff. It rubbed a lot of people in that gym the wrong way, how far he took that gimmick. Don't you also think there might be a little jealousy at play there just with how, you know, Colby was able to just become this shooting star, right? And he kind of left a lot of people in his wake. So I wonder about that as well. Uh, and we'll it makes it makes sense for the UFC too because uh, because look you, you don't want Colby knocking off potential title challenges for Kamaru Usman which is yeah. all he will be doing so it would occupy him as well so we'll see. Well, let's bring in uh, uh, Jonathan Ramlikan, a man who needs no introduction, but I'm, I'm giving him one anyway at three piece combo. By the way, Jonathan, uh, I love thank you. You sent me uh, a video of the live reaction in your house. You watched UFC 269 with your family and seeing your reaction, uh, someone who I assume was a brother or a cousin of yours's reaction and your mom's reaction because she's a big Amanda Nunes fan. Just I the the shot it was I'm sure it was what was on my face as well when I watched the fight I wasn't recording myself but the shock 
from you and your entire household when Juliana Pena pulled that off. I mean, did you see that in a million years? Did you see that happening? No, not really. Um, It was it's just it's one of those things, especially after how the first round went. You just don't see it going that way. I mean, she ended up on top. She was smiling, laughing, just kind of going about her day. And the way she has destroyed everybody else, it just kind of left everything else. I mean, the guy who bet, what, $325,000 on Amanda Nunez, I'm pretty sure he just thought it was a quick 10% ROI that he's going to get for his day, right? No, he's really probably biting himself for that. So yeah, I didn't think Juliana Pena had the stand-up skills to do that, right? But what I think they did really well, what I think that camp did really, really well, they didn't focus on making Juliana Pena this exceptional striker. What they did is they just made her counter Amanda Nunez, right? They just yeah. made her a, a walking counter, right? Make her not hit that overhand right, right? Slip her jab. It seems like she, when she starts getting hit, that she doesn't move her head as much. She hit about four or five jabs in a row. And what that's, at that point, I knew she was in a little bit of trouble because she started swinging a little bit wild. And then once she got the takedown, it was almost all but over. And she got the choke without even getting the hooks in. And that was, uh, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. Never, like you said, never in a million years that I really think that was going to happen. But I got to watch it. And, and like you said, I got to watch it with my family. Uh, my mom typically watches uh, the Nunez fights because, you know, I just put her onto them. Um, so she's watched Nunez. So, so even she was shocked. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, man, it was a great time. But all props to Juliana Pena for the perfect game plan coming in. Jonathan, Amanda said after the fight that she quote unquote checked out. What, what does that mean? I've been racking my brain over what exactly that means as a fighter when a fighter says right after the fight that they checked out of the fight. What, what did what was your interpretation of that? I think it's the same way. I mean, you know, we're on the Five Reasons Sports Network, so we can relate to the Miami Heat, right? Sometimes the Heat will not play up to their competition as well, right? They'll kind of, you know, let things simmer, simmer when they're playing, you know, below level competition, and then when they play a really good team. They'll do really well because they play up to that level of competition. I think with so many wins, with all the accomplishments, it's hard to not let it get to your head at least a little bit, right? And I feel like Amanda Nunez, you know, being the greatest of all time, now she has the baby and, you know, everything like that. I felt like she let it get to her head that she's kind of invincible. And now she just she got into the fight. And after the first round, she was just kind of chilling. So at that point, she was like, okay, this fight's just going to go the way it is. She probably doesn't have the stand-up to, to match with me, but that was proven wrong in the second round. So I think you can see, you know, like when teams play against bad teams, when you saw what Shevchenko did against Lauren Murphy, just kind of how simple it was, you know, these things become academic for those high-level fighters. So now we saw no matter who it is, it just can't be academic. Jonathan, I, I wondered if uh, a couple things at play there also – I wonder if she's having a harder time with that weight cut um, because cardio seemed to be an issue, uh, although I realized she was getting hit. And then the other thing I thought psychologically, and especially reading some of Mike uh, Brown's comments, it seemed like she's used to people not being able to handle her power. And I think that freaked her out a little bit because it seemed to me watching it that she just threw I – mean, it looked like she was getting incredibly frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I was right there with you. I, I feel like when she didn't go down after the first shot, because Juliana Pena ate some shots. If you yeah. look at the end of the fight when they're raising her hand, her face is pretty beat up as well, right? She took a couple of shots to the face, and she was able to stay in there. And to your point, 
once she got a little bit of frustrated, I think that's when she just started making more mistakes. And I think as a challenger, that's what you want to do. You want to frustrate the champion. You want to put them, you know, out of their element. You want to just take them somewhere that they haven't been before. Make them a little bit uncomfortable. And that's all Juliana Pena really had to do was make Amanda Nunes a little bit uncomfortable. Like you said, I think the weight cut does get to her a little bit. She looks a lot fresher at 45. 35, she looks a little like a dry sponge, in my opinion. You know, she seems a little, thin, thin, you know, thinned out. And once you gas out in those lower weight classes and you've already made a big weight cut, it's not easy to continue. And I feel like this, the, you know, the, the way she tapped out, she kind of gave up. She knew that that choke yeah. was going to come. So she just saved herself the problem from going through that and just tapped out before it happened. So I felt, all, you know, she is still has the credentials to be the greatest of all time. And as far as, you know, female mixed martial artist goes, but I felt like she gave up a little bit towards the end. Hey, no. can I, can I, I'm sorry, Alex, but I got to get into this with Jonathan, especially because we got him here. You guys heard Chandler's comments about Poirier quitting, you know, should, what's everybody's take on that? Because, you know, now we're talking about, you know, Amanda Nunes and, you know, should a fighter go until they're literally unconscious and, you know, rolling, you know, and the, and the ref just pulls your opponent off or is it okay? Once you know that joke is there, you've, you know, you've been doing this for years and years. You know when the choke is there. You know when you're going to go unconscious. It's only can, a matter. Can, I, can I give Can I give a quick answer? Uh, yeah. And so That's like, what I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> so so like, um, it, it. I'm I'm totally an armchair, you know, MMA fan. So take this with a grain of salt. And I also know every situation is different. There, there have been some really incredible moments where it looks like a fighter in a, is in a position where they should tap, are about to tap, and they're able to get out of it. Now, like, every submission is different, and the person performing it is different. Not every arm bar, not every rear naked choke, not every guillotine. Dars is created equally. Well, you, you think of some of the moments, man, um, when, uh, you know. Volkanovski and Ortega. Yes, yes, it was at the tip of my tongue. And and John Jones against Vitor Belfort, another one. Do you remember down in Brazil, we thought that down at Steroid Island, Frank, like you like to say, Vitor had Jones in a nasty-ass armbar, and we thought, oh, my God, this is it. Vitor Belfort, old as hell, is about to take out John Jones. He was able to escape, so it's like, you know, I, I every situation is different, and, and maybe Nunez thought she was about to get in a situation she couldn't escape from and was too tired to escape from. But but Alex, like and Jonathan, you you train Muay Thai and right, you're you're uh, so you so like I, I, look, I'm certainly not an expert. I'm only the most dangerous white belt in the world. But I can tell you from my experiences, you can tell instantly if that lock is going to work or not, or if there's an opportunity for you. You know, it it, it that 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 recognition happens instantly. And then I think, and obviously these fighters are, are, are really well-trained. They know right away, and that's when you see them continue to, to try to deal with it. But there's also moments when I felt like that's it. You know what I mean? That's like there's, that, that's perfectly placed, and I'm done. And, and so that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I hate that we're calling them quitters. You know, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes it happens, and it's not healthy to get choked unconscious. And it feels terrible to have your windpipe collapsed. Ugh. You know what I mean? So, I mean, your I you sore for a couple of days. <laughs> right. So anyway. Yeah. But uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, let's think about what we're asking these athletes to do. We're asking two men to get in a cage and leave the other one incapacitated. Like it's a pretty brutal sport when it comes to it. Right. And there are rules. And, you know, when you're at the highest level and you feel somebody like Charles Oliveira, the guy who has the most submissions in the UFC history, he has your back. 
that forearm is under your neck and you maybe have two on one, but your arms can't fight his back extension, right? That's the choke. You don't choke with your arms. You choke with your back and your hips, right? And no matter how strong your arms are, if you're pulling, if he has that choke in the right spot, you know. And I think Dustin Poirier knew that that choke was going to get there. And to add on to it, uh, Charles Oliveira, beautiful job early in the fight with those knees to the body, with those body shots, taking the win out of Poirier early. I think that was a great, great strategy by him to additionally, because you don't want to go take Charles Oliveira down. So for him to go knee to the body, he can do that all day because he has that opportunity. If you have somebody that wants to take you down and because you bring that leg up, that's fine by me. Charles Oliveira off his back is a very, still a very dangerous person. So great game plan by Charles Oliveira. I mean, I, I love Dustin Poirier. He's one of my top three favorite fighters. It was sad for me. Sad to see him lose. But Oliveira, man, he's killing it out here. Now, what do you think happens, Jonathan? Because Charles Oliveira more than likely is going to fight Justin Gaethje next. And unless they try to pull some Conor McGregor shenanigan on us, it, it should be Justin Gaethje next. Um, we, we have disagreements here on our panel because I, I, I'm going to pick Oliveira to beat Gaethje. I think Frank's and, Frank and James are both leaning actually to Gaethje. What do you think? If, if Gaethje knocks down Oliveira in the first round, I'm going to take Oliveira. <laughs> because it seems to be a trend, right? Mm, you know, he got knocked down right. by Chandler. He got knocked <laughs> down by Poirier. So if the, if the first round's a 10-8 to Gaethje, then I'm going to take Oliveira in that fight. Um, no, but it, to when it's, you know, really, I, I think it's a tough fight for for uh, Oliveira because we see him have a hard time struggling with the power, right? So that's what we'd even like. Now the Conor McGregor conversation is still kind of there a little bit because it's the what if, right? He still hurt Poirier in fight two a little bit in that first round. So if he could hurt Oliveira a little bit, and, and I'm not by no means I'm a Conor McGregor fan, that could be something that could, they can sell the fight on now, right? I think the problem with Oliveira is that he's just prone to damage too soon. And, you know, being a slow starter, you know, coming on strong late in the fight is good. But as a champion, you can't have these slow starts over and over and over again. I mean, it's only his first defense, right? But both title fights, he's really had a struggle in the first round and he's came in late. So if Justin Gaethje wins, it's in, it's within the first uh, two rounds. I think if it goes past that, it's probably going to be Oliveira. Jonathan Ramlikan at Three Piece Combo is with us here on Five Rounds on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Uh, I want to go back to Amanda Nunes. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that, you know, she loses this fight uh, and people are talking as if, well, now the party's over. Like, we, we can't do we can't do Kayla Harrison, Amanda Nunes. I'm like, well, why not? Like, first right. of all, you know, the belt that Amanda lost, she still has another one. And the other belt that she still has is the one that she would be fighting Kayla Harrison for. Um, now, it may throw off the timeline a little bit. Like, Kayla Harrison's a free agent right now. She may wind up in the UFC. She may not. Uh, in the meantime, the UFC will, just based on the pattern of the way that they do fights, they'd probably give an, a re, an immediate rematch uh, for Amanda with Juliana Pena. I think Amanda probably wins the rematch. And so I, I don't see why, and even if she were to lose the rematch, I don't see why she can't defend her 145-pound belt against Kayla Harrison. So I don't feel like this affects that at all. No, I mean, to your point, I'm going to put this in like, you know, a little bit of pro wrestling perspective for the UFC. You don't want your champion to or, to lose right off the rip, right? If Kayla Harrison comes out and she beats your champion right off rip, 
now it seems like these outside competition is a little bit better than it should be, right? So mm-hmm. what you do is, I mean, you still have, well, like you said, you still she still has a belt, but you take one of the championships offer like you would in wrestling, and then now that loss doesn't hurt the brand of the company anymore, right? Maybe the individual fighter takes the hurt, but the UFC as a whole doesn't take that damage anymore. But I think, like you said, it's still an amazing fight. Like you said, she's fighting. Her belt is still in that higher weight class that she would have to meet Kayla Harrison in anyway. So for that fight, I think that's still like a, a spectacle fight, right? That's still one of those cross promotion kind of ones, although she her being a free agent, but like her versus Cyborg, you know, Cyborg versus Harrison, her and then like that little triangle there could be a little interesting matchup that they have going on. I mean, even throw Shevchenko on there out there, man. I think she has the yeah. skills to kind of hang with some of them, even though she's a little undersized. Technically, she's so good. Would you be disappointed if Kayla Harrison stays in PFL? Like, I, I love PFL. I just don't really think there's anything for her there. Like, I I, I need to see her in the. Wait US a minute. There's nothing. There's nothing there for her. Is well, there okay. There's nothing for me with her. There's a million. There's a million. <laughs> You're right. For. You know, James is absolutely right. There, there's a million reasons for Kayla to stay in PFL. There's no reason for me to for to see her stay in PFL. Yeah, I mean, I would be a little disappointed because I feel like. If you don't want to go to the UFC yet, go to Bellator and test yourself, right? There's yeah. a couple of names out there that are okay, right? But I think the best decision for her personally, like if I was Kayla Harrison, stay in PFL, stay make that million dollars. Like, oh, God, come on. Kayla Harrison, go she, to UFC? she's going to be the next. She could capitalize on UFC stardom in a way that we haven't seen since Ronda Rousey. Right, she could make seven figures in the UFC also. She'd be doing com- yeah. mainstream commercials. She'd be doing, I mean, sh- she's a crossover marketing uh, talent that I think would be just, and all I'm worried about, Jonathan, is Amanda Nunes knocking out yet another marketable female fighter. <laughs> and that's the thing. I, so. I would say, uh, sorry to cut you off. Um, no, I don't know if you want to finish. No. I was just going to say with... <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> I would say take another year to develop her skills. I just don't think her stand-up is just ready yet. I don't know if I'm ready to see her stand-up, you know, if her stand-up is just there. So I would say take one more year, develop in the PFL, and then after that, go into UFC. But that's personally, I mean, can't say no to another million dollars guaranteed almost, you know, like (laughs) pretty much. I just don't know. I don't know how much she develops over there, though, right? I mean, it's like, you know, it's the same. I mean, you know, so. They brought Julia Budd over. That's a little bit of competition. That's right. Yeah, and, and, and quick point on that. I, I don't know how much the Amanda Nunes fight motivates Kayla Harrison. I mean, it's not like she's seeking that fight. She's a teammate, um, you know, borderline friend. I mean, the UFC can't really dangle that carrot that, hey, Amanda Nunes is over here. Come fight her. I don't, I don't know if that's motivation uh, as much for her. I think her motivation is being the best, you know, female fighter ever. She said that multiple times. And, and, and facing competition, but also money. I mean, it, it, can the UFC pay Kayla Harrison a million dollars a year, which is pretty much what she's guaranteed, um, you know, in the PFL. So what would that be per fight? That would be about 300 grand, 350 grand a fight. Yeah. Um, I, that's, that's pretty high. I don't, I don't know if the UFC is willing to pay that. You know, she fights three times a year. So it's Man, do they need her. They need her, James. They, they will do. pay. They, they do. need yeah. her. That's a great point by Frank. Honestly, if I'm Dana White and I see what just happened to Amanda Nunes, who like dominant champion, but as we've talked about, unfortunately not as marketable because she's just not interested in marketing herself. Kayla Harrison is. And if I'm Dana White, I'm saying, okay, now that my champ champ has been knocked down a peg, we really need Kayla more than ever. 
I think Kayla's just a brilliant negotiator. I think she's negotiating in the media, you know, acting as if, I don't know, you know, is a great ploy. Yeah. Acting yeah. as if, you know, that's not her necessarily, her end game is brilliant because, you know, Dana White's going to use every angle he can and she's taking some of them away. But ultimately that's where she ends up because that's where she makes the most money. And God knows if you're going to get in a cage and fight people for a living, you better go do it where you make the most money. Something I got to bring up real quick before we wrap it up, but you guys probably saw uh, John Jones copped a plea deal and his domestic uh, violence charges have been dropped. There's still like a, like a minor charge still there. I think it was like the uh, destruction of property or something. He's got to pay a fine. But the big charge was dropped from that altercation he had with his fiance in Las Vegas. Um so, you know, and this this is not any any sort of commentary on what he allegedly did, but now on his legal situation, safe to assume, Jonathan, that this is going to accelerate his UFC return and his heavyweight debut. I mean, yeah, I mean, since it's dropped, I mean, I'm not surprised, right? Like Juliana yeah. you said, and like like, you know, I'm not surprised <laughs> yeah. that it got dropped. You know, it happened and you know, it should accelerate things because every time it seems like one of these things happen, he, you know, he goes into the cycle where he gets a little better for some time. He fights. We think he's going to get better. And then something bad happens again. So I see yeah. him fighting again March. And then I'm probably, you know, around September, he'll get in another incident. So that's my uh, prediction for him. They got to keep him active, John. Yeah, they got to yeah. keep him active. They, he's got to fight every three or four months or we're going to lose him again. What do you think, James? Yeah, you know, get get the fights in now while you can. I mean, put them. I was talking about International Fight Week earlier. Cyril Gan or Francis Ngannou winner versus John Jones. International Fight Week seems like a perfect headline. Get them in camp. You know, have them training for three, four months, and and you know, get them right in there before something happens and that fight is off the table. Uh, real quick, Jonathan, uh, would you? What, what do you think is the more interesting stylistic matchup for John Jones, Surreal Gan or Francis Ngannou? I would say Ngannou, man. Me too. It's just the styles that, they clash. Yeah, yeah. You know, you have the technique, and I'm not sure how he's going to look at heavyweight, but you know, he's so good with the teep kicks, that front leg stomp. You know, good at keeping distance, managing. Is he going to be able to take Ngannou down? You know, we see Ngannou taking down. I think it was against Stipe. You know, we've seen him taking down before. So, but then you have the guy like you know, it's patient Francis now, right? We got patient Francis versus heavyweight John Jones. I think that's just so fun of a matchup because. One punch, and that could be it for John Jones. Like, that literally could be it. Guys, make sure you are supporting our awesome partners at the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. I'm getting hungry. Like, talking about the Quarterdeck right now, it is dangerous, man, because I'm I'm due for dinner. I'm getting very hungry, and there's no better place to satisfy that hunger than the Quarterdeck. The seafood is amazing. It's so fresh. The burgers are awesome. The All-American Burger, one of my favorite burgers on planet Earth. I love getting either curly fries or tater tots on the side. You can get regular fries, sweet potato fries, mac and cheese. There's so many options at the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. The baby back ribs are fork tender. My God, the food is so good. I'm going to eat like a pig tonight. I'm going to head out to the Quarterdeck. Two-for-one happy hour is all day, every day. The drink specials never end at the Quarterdeck. Our viewers on this show and our listeners will be happy to know that they have every UFC pay-per-view fight at the Quarterdeck for zero cover charge. Hopefully you caught UFC 269 out there. You can catch 270, 271, and so on. All the pay-per-views at the quarter deck for zero cover charge. Make sure you check them out on the web. Find the location nearest to you. Convenient locations all over. 
HorderDeckRestaurants.com. You can also check out the menu there. I like to pick out what I'm going to eat before I get over there. HorderDeckRestaurants.com. The quarter deck, come for the food, stay for the fun. Huge shout out. You can see, except for Frank, because he's a very private person. You can see where to follow everybody on Twitter. You can see James Walker at James Walker NFL, uh, Jonathan at Three Piece Combo. Frank is at Real Frank underscore Z. And by the way, let me put this up on the screen here. We have created a new Twitter account for the show. I created it because if I let Frank run it, it would never, never uh, get on there. It's uh, I don't love the handle that they gave me, uh, but here it is. It's at hold on, hold on. I'm writing it for a banner. This is uh, this is live uh, live video here. Follow us at five underscore MMA. Just created the Twitter account today. Uh, you can uh, and I, what I want to do with this, guys, is. If I can get Frank to figure out how to log on, Jonathan can help out with this on some nights as well. James, uh, I want to uh, I want to have somebody on fight nights like live tweeting through the fights, Wh- whether you're giving serious commentary or you're drunk off your ass and you're just, you know, stand him up. <laughs> That'll be Frank. That'll be Frank. So so during during every event, fight night or pay-per-view. Uh, one of us will be running the account live tweeting our thoughts. You can find all the show related stuff there. So please throw us a follow on Twitter at five underscore MMA. We will talk to everybody again next time on another episode of five rounds on the five reasons sports network. See ya.